The John Morris Show, episode 134. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This uh, episode, we're going to get into, got a couple of questions that I've gotten via email that I want to dive into some answers on that deal with. First one revolves around this idea of, can I consider myself a web developer? So I get these questions quite a, quite a bit. They'll say, hey, I know how to do this. I know how to do this and I know how to do this, but I don't know how to do this over here. Can I consider myself a web developer? So we're going to get into that a little bit and really why this this all just this question in general is really a limiting mindset and some of the things that you can do to get through this so that it doesn't hold you back in your career. Uh, I also want to get into, I've been getting a number of questions regarding freelancing site profiles and people having trouble, you know, free freelancing and getting work on freelance sites and so forth. So I want to dive back into some of that stuff, go back into some of the things that I, I recommend that you do and really hopefully for somebody out there hammer home the method here that it really almost becomes foolproof when it comes to freelancing and freelancing sites so we're going to get into that as well before i do i think i'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about the big news that's going on right now which is the fact that apple has officially unveiled its iphone 7 and uh, here's a number of interesting developments. You probably paid attention to this a little bit, but a number of interesting developments in terms of what the new phone will have, and I think more importantly, won't have. But looking at the feature list, I to me, this, this release is very underwhelming. Now, Maybe not for some people because the expectations, I don't know, were really that high because Apple has really kind of been underwhelming for a while now. And so there hasn't been anything really new and great that they've been doing with the latest editions of their phones. And so the expectation level, I think, is sinking a little bit. But even still, when you 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 go through this list of features and then consider what's not there... It's interesting. So here's what I call the snooze fest list of new features in the iPhone 7. So it's going to be water and dust resistant. Okay. A longer battery life, increased storage capacity, an improved camera, and a faster chip. I mean, that that's the main things that you're going to see in this new iPhone 7, which are, look, they're, they're good upgrades. They're things that make the phone better, but it's definitely, Apple suffers from suffers from its own its own marketing its own its own brand in that every release everybody expects it to be this just huge revolutionary thing and when it's not like this then uh people just they're, they're very underwhelmed by it the revolutionary thing quote unquote that they've done is something that a lot of people really don't like and that is they removed the headphone jack now when I first read that, I was like, what? But the, what they've done is they've essentially moved the, removed the headphone jack, and now you have to use the lightning connector or Bluetooth or their version of Bluetooth in order to connect any sort of headphones or anything to the the iPhone. And they have included an adapter for old jacks so that if you have an old 
headphone jack. You can use this adapter or whatever, but <laughs> that's, uh, again, a fairly underwhelming and annoying way of going about things. Now, of course, they have their reasons. They say that the audio that comes through the, the lightning connector is much better. Uh, it helps them free up some space so they can get more battery, uh, uh, get a bigger battery in there and some other things and so forth. But it really is kind of a bit of a revolutionary in a not so good way step to get rid of the headphone jack like that. Now, a lot of people have been speculating why, and I was reading this article on The Verge that I thought was interesting. But, you know, to anyone who's not a, just a complete fanboy of Apple, this this phone, this list of stuff, and I'm driving at a point here, I'm not just ragging on Apple, okay? So, so stick with me, but to anyone that's not a complete fanboy, this new phone is ho-hum to say the least. It's not the revolutionary thing that people come to expect from Apple. But to hear the fanboys and fangirls tell it, well, you know, the, the decision to move the remove the uh headphone jack is it it's it's revolutionary. This phone's gonna you know it's gonna change the world again. It's just another sign of Apple being the best company in the world, yada yada yada. Like there's nothing Apple could do to where the the fanboys and the fangirls would be like, oh yeah, that that's dumb. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, the Apple's marketing chief, when asked about the headphone jack and specifically and why they did it, <laughs> this is what he said. He said it really comes down to one word: courage. The courage to move on and do something new that betters all of us. Now, this is the marketing chief. This is what he's supposed to say. But I promise you that there are Apple <laughs> acolytes out there, people that love Apple out there, that buy this kind of stuff hook, line, and sinker. Like, yeah, it, it really is about courage. When uh, the the reasoning behind it may be a little bit more suspect. So, again, I was reading this article over on Verge, and they talk about one of the things that <laughs> is going to happen as a result of Apple getting rid of the the headphone jack is that a lot of people are now going to have to buy the lightning headphones or Bluetooth headphones. Well, the reality is, is that Apple profits greatly from both. You know, uh, in order to, if any company that wants to make a pair of lightning headphones has to go through Apple's licensing program. And in order to do that, they have to pay a, pay a fee. And Apple actually charges a flat fee for every device sold using one of its connectors. So anybody that's going to make headphones, all the think of all the headphones that are going to now be made to be, to work with this Lightning connector. All of those have to go through this licensing program, and Apple's going to get a flat fee for every single one of those devices sold, no matter who sells them. So, hmm. Maybe that might give you some insight into why they're really doing this. And of course, that's just the lightning connector. Uh, more likely than people doing that is they're they're probably going to start buying Bluetooth headphones. And Apple has been kind of pushing this idea of wireless headphones for a while. Well, it just so happens that 
Apple owns the number one Bluetooth headphone company in the world, which is Beats. And Beats brings in more revenue from Bluetooth Bluetooth headphones than LG, Bose, or Jaybird, which is according to uh, figures released in July. So, getting rid of the headphone jack, while uh, the marketing chief will tell you it's courage and we're moving the courage to move forward <laughs> and and do something that betters all of us. The fact is, Apple also stands to benefit immensely in other parts of its business as a result of this. I mean, think about it. Go to Walmart or Best Buy or wherever and go to the go to the uh phone or tablet accessories area. Oh, probably 80 to 90% of what you're going to see there is Apple products. Matter of fact, you go to certain stores, all you can find is Apple products or 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 accessories for iPhone, iPad, etc. Now imagine all of all of that stuff, there's this new phone that you have to use this lightning connector or you have to use Bluetooth and for every single one of those products, no matter who makes it, that's the thing, no matter whose name is on the box, Apple's getting a cut of that sale. So uh again the 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 benefits to apple seem seem pretty clear and it probably doesn't take a lot of courage to to think that through now don't misunderstand what i'm saying here credit apple they they have created a product that lots of people want and they have absolutely every right to do what they're doing and i, I don't necessarily regard it as slimy or dirty or anything like that i think the way they communicate about it at times gets into that territory and where they won't just be honest about what they're doing but credit them that they've created a product that lots of people want and they can do this kind of thing and and develop these kind of of increased profits for themselves but my focus is on the consumer and the fanboys here and like i said the me just saying what I just said, I promise you there's going to be people listening to this, maybe you're one of them right now, who's going to go into like a fit of fury and start foaming at the mouth about Apple, that's not what Apple's, Apple's this, blah, blah, like that's what they're going to get into. And annoying as that is for the rest of us, there's a lesson to be learned here. And that lesson is the power of marketing and brand loyalty. Because the reality is the Apple faithful, no matter how skewed their thinking can be sometimes, what they want is they want to believe. Apple has become almost a fashion statement. It's become a almost a way of expressing your identity and who you are. And so a lot of people have attached themselves and who they see themselves as to the brand. That's why they react so over the top about this kind of thing. And so they want to believe because if they don't believe in Apple, there's some sense that they might not really believe in who they are. And so they unconsciously filter and ignore everything that doesn't fit their predetermined narrative. And that narrative is that Apple is the greatest company ever, their products are always the best, everything they release is the most revolutionary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And again, the lesson here is this is the same kind of brand that you want to create for yourself. And you can do this with a personal brand. You don't have to be Apple. Right? It, it, it can be you, your name, your face, and you can create this kind of brand for yourself. The kind of brand that commands that same kind of loyalty, whether it be from clients, coworkers, customers, or whoever you're going to be writing code for. The thing about this is, it's not just if you're getting into freelancing. It's also if you're going to be working for someone else, or you're going to build the next Facebook, or the next Instagram, or whatever. All of this still applies. Because your brand is really your reputation. And so, and, and that's because your brand isn't what a lot of people think it is, which is some stupid cartoon or, <laughs> or some fancy font. That's not what your brand is. Your brand is how you're perceived by everyone you interact with. Again, it's your reputation. It's how others see you. So, it's every email you send, every word and image on your website, every inch of your resume, every conversation, every missed or made deadline. It's who you are as a person. For me, it's every single word that I speak on one of these podcasts, in a video, in an email, in some sort of product or course, etc. Every line of code that I write, that all together is my brand. That's how people see me. So, that's something to remember as you venture out into this woolly world of web development because there's no skirting around or shortcutting it. If you're a dirtbag, if you're unreliable, if you're dishonest, if you're all of these things, people will find out and it will reflect on you and that will become your brand. And that's not the kind of brand... <laughs> That's going to get you the same type of success that Apple has had. And those people who find out about you, they're going to, they may never say anything to your face, but they'll whisper about you behind your back and the word will get around. And so I bring all of this up to point out the fact that a lot of developers, when getting into this, tend to focus on really strange things, things that wouldn't necessarily, like any other industry, they really wouldn't. It, they wouldn't focus on. They would understand how important being honest and trustworthy and reliable and so forth is. But we get so wrapped up in what our idea is. I have the next best thing. Look, nobody cares. At the end of the day, nobody cares. Not until you actually build it. Right? Having an idea really means nothing. Having loads and loads of technical skill isn't enough. All of these other things matter. And again, you don't have to sit down and learn branding 101 to understand what I'm getting at. It's about who you are. It's about your reputation and whether that reputation communicates things, good things about you, pe things that people want to be a part of that make people want to hire you, whether freelance, a job, makes people want to buy your product or service, etc., or not. So you... Your focus outside of honing your skill and your craft in terms of marketing yourself and, and, and the career side of things is about building your brand, building that Apple-esque type of brand to where you have true believers, people who trust you, who, who think everything that you do is great and so forth. Again, you don't have to get crazy like, you don't have to have the crazy 
ones like the Apple fanboys, but having that brand that people really respect and look up to is one of the keys to success in this industry. Now, as you know, uh, I think is obvious, talent is at the core of all of this. So I'm not saying talent doesn't matter. I'm saying you need both. You need talent and you need branding. You, it's just a lot of people bemoan that. That's the cost of doing business these days. But talent is at the core of all of this. I mean, if Apple couldn't produce good products, because I'm not saying their products aren't good. I just, I think they tend to get over, <laughs> get pumped up more than what they are. But again, if, if they couldn't create good products, it wouldn't matter. So talent is at the core of all of this. And without talent, you're like a screen door on a submarine, useless. And that's the kind of thing that I can't let happen to you. So if you're a PHP developer, which you should be, then head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash PHP to up your PHP game. Start building that core of talent to be able to execute on and build the kind of things that make people ooh and ah, that really are at the center of your brand. And then you can wrap that talent in being honest, being loyal, being reliable, being trustworthy, etc. And when you do that, you'll have a very, very powerful uh, value proposition to offer the world and your career uh, will go much further than you probably thought it could. But it all starts with that core of talent. So again, head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash PHP to take my PHP 101 course and get started building your brand. All right, coming up in the next segment, we're going to get into talking about whether or not you can consider yourself a real web developer if you know X, Y, and Z. Before I do that, I'm going to take a break. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, it's kind of funny. Every time someone uh, joins my email list, I ask them a very specific question. I ask them, what would you say if I could, if I told you I could teach you how to master PHP in the next few months? And I get a lot of interesting answers. Now, I get a lot of people who, you know, they say, sign me up. Where do I start? Let's do this, right? I get people who are a little more skeptical who say, um, it would depend on the details, you know, if it costs, what it costs, etc. And then I get people probably on the most skeptical end who are like, well, what does it exactly take to master PHP? And all these are really great questions. Now, let me ask you this, since you're here listening. What if I told you that you could learn everything that you needed to know for PHP to get started working full-time in PHP to actually get off of that nine to five you hate and start making your living as a coder. You can learn everything that you needed to know. 265 lectures, over 28 hours of content for just 37 bucks. I hope that your answer is a resounding yes, because I can tell you this is a very unique opportunity compared to the way I had to go through it and the way developers in the past have had to do it. So I don't want you to underestimate this because there's, you know, there's a lot more options out there now today, but I see people out there spending two, $3,000 on boot camps, spending tens of thousand dollars go, going to college. And you don't need to do that. You can get started in the next few months, learn everything that you need to learn 
and do it for just 37 bucks and learn from someone who's been doing it for a number of years now and knows exactly, they know what you need to learn, they know how to teach it to you, and they're going to do that. So that sounds like, you know, if you're one of those people that's, yeah, where do I sign up? Head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash php. You want to make sure and use that link specifically. That is an affiliate link, but it's also a discount link. So you're going to get 26% off the regular price of the course, and you're going to get access, like I said, to all 265 lectures. You'll also get access to the chat area where you can interact with other students and the instructors. There's over 13,000 students enrolled in the course. Edwin Diaz is the instructor. He's been a freelance web developer for a number of years and knows exactly what he's talking about uh, and is in the there in the chat to help you, other students, and so forth. So you can get this taken care of. You can get PHP mastered, and you can get down the path, get on with your career and making your living as a full-time web developer. So again, don't underestimate this. Don't overlook it just because you may have heard about this stuff before. You can get this taken care of, and all you need to do is go to johnmorrisonline.com slash php. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. So I got this question the other day on YouTube, and it's something that I've, I get fairly regularly. It's all always a little bit, the specifics are always a little bit different. But I get this similar kind of question a lot, and so I wanted to dive back into this. I think it's been a while since I've talked about this. And so for those of you who are new to the show, uh, I want to kind of get back into this and then you know, obviously have <laughs> refined my thinking on it uh, with time. So the question was, hi, John, I'm not skilled in developing hard-coded websites. I mean, from scratch, from PSD to HTML, but on WordPress, I can still install it and then customize the site through the dashboard editor, the style sheet.css or in PHP header, or footer, or body or sidebar because I can read, understand, and edit those languages. I'm an IT graduate and have developed a number of sites as uh, as a freelancer using Word, WordPress, and I believe that is an easier uh, it's easier compared to those who who really do write all the code. So I'm wondering, can I consider myself a web developer? So I always find this a little bit interesting because I, I'm I'm fascinated with this this pursuit and I get a, I get this a lot but I'm this this idea that well can I consider myself a web developer or not and it tends to be related to will other people think that I'm a web developer or not and so the the short answer to give you that right up for, up front is some will say yes and some will say no right the fact that you work in WordPress and, and you primarily do WordPress stuff, there's a lot of people out there that'll say, well, no, because you're not really developing, you're not, you can't write code. If you can't write code, then it doesn't matter. Now, the fact that you're editing a CSS style sheet and working in PHP, they'll say, you know, then there's the argument, well, you do know how to write code, but maybe you're just a beginner developer, etc. My answer to the question, though, is, I don't think it matters. And that's probably more imp- understanding that is more important than anything else. The one that 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 comes up a lot is related to a college degree. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you know, you're not really a developer unless you have some sort of CS degree. 
And then they'll go through this litany of things that you learn <laughs> in a, a CS degree program that you wouldn't learn just uh, studying on your own. And it's not that that's, there's not some truth to that, that there's things that you would probably learn. But you know, I know people who are CS, have their CS degrees. My little brother has a CS degree. And the, oddly enough, there's some things that he doesn't know after having got his CS degree. One of the interesting ones that I find fascinating that he doesn't know as a result of his CS degree is how to code. <laughs> he got hired, he originally got hired at IBM as a Java application developer, had taken a Java class, but really had never written a Java application and really didn't know a ton about writing Java code at that time. If I sat him down with PHP, I could run circles around him. And I'm not trying to be mean to him, but the, the, the truth is I could run circles around him with PHP, with HTML, with CSS, with a number of languages, web development languages, that he didn't learn as a part of his CS degree. Now, he does a lot with data migration and with querying databases and stuff. So to be fair, he could run circles around me when it comes to SQL and that sort of thing and database management, etc. But the point of it is, is that there are certain things that you're going to learn in a degree and there's certain things that you're not. There's certain things that you're going to learn being self-taught and there's certain things that you're not. But it seems to me that one of the things that would probably be important for you to learn to consider yourself a real web developer is how to actually code. And he didn't get a lot of that as a part of his CS degree. I'm not saying they didn't learn any of it, but he couldn't functionally code coming out of it. And there's a lot of developers who are that way. Matter of fact, this comment right here says right in it, I am an IT graduate. Yet says, I'm not really skilled in developing hard coding websites. Again, I'm not getting on you, but I, I really want to attack this idea that you have to have a degree or that you have to know how to write this particular piece of code or you need to know this language or that language, etc. In order to consider yourself a real web developer, people will throw all sorts of criteria at you of what you have to be able to do in order to be a real web developer. And conveniently enough, what you'll often find is that the thing that you need in order to be a real web developer happens to be the thing that they themselves have. Funny how that works. So again, the answer to your question here, can I consider myself a web developer? Is it doesn't freaking matter. Who cares whether you can consider yourself a web developer or not, whether other people will consider you a web developer or not. And the truth is, I don't think that's actually the question you're asking. Because again, I've seen this a lot and I've, I've really dug in with some people on this and got to the root of it. And what it really comes down to is confidence. It's not about can I consider myself a web developer or not. It's 
can I actually go out in the world? And I don't think that these people necessarily do care a ton about what other people think they do. What they care about is, can I do this as a job? Can I apply at a company? Can I get freelance clients? Can I go out and build some project or work on an open source project and have success and be successful? And I'm going to go back to the thing that I always harp on. And this is going to be a bit of a lead into the freelance stuff that we're going to talk about. But I'm going to go back to the thing that I always harp on that you guys get sick of hearing me say, but I'm going to say it over and over and over again because it is the absolute truth. And that is all that matters. All that matters in whether you can get a job or not, whether you can get freelance clients, whether you can build a application, whether you can consider yourself a web developer or not. All that matters is can you deliver on some sort of end result? And that end result can be anything. It can be as simple as a website template. Believe it or not, there's still a fairly decent market out there for just simple website templates. Matter of fact, that's what WordPress themes are. Yes, there's a little bit more involved with it. Yes, they've gotten a a, a lot more involved and developed and and complicated with time. And there's, I was just watching the the release of Divi 3, which is basically a full-on front end theme that that allows you to customize on the the, the front end and et cetera. Very advanced stuff, right? But there's still a market. There's still, you can still find clients who don't want to even mess with any of that, don't care whether you use some advanced system like that or not. All they care about is the end result. Bob's auto body down the road, at the end of the day, all they really care about is the end result. How does it look? How does it work? Etc. And if you do that coding HTML and CSS and don't use a lick of PHP, and you can do everything, it'll do everything they want it to do, they're not going to care. The only time they're going to care is if they will then want to add something to it that, that it can't do and you now need to use this other language or whatever. All they care about is the end result. So the question to ask yourself isn't, can I consider myself a web developer? Who cares? Some people answer yes, some people answer no. It doesn't really matter. What matters is, can you get work doing this? And the answer to that question is, can you deliver an end result? And the more end results you can deliver, a website template, you can build a blog, you can, uh, you know, create a maybe CMS or (laughs) whatever. The more end results, a contact form, a membership site, the more end results that you can deliver on, then the more marketable you become. And so that's what you should focus on. Now, I say all of this in relation to your question because you said that you can install WordPress. You can customize WordPress. You can customize the style sheet. You can customize the PHP files. Uh, You can use that platform and you've developed a number of sites as a freelancer using that platform. So if you've already been able to create these end results, and you've already been able to presumably do that for clients, because it says you've developed a number of sites as a freelancer. If you've already done that, 
Why do you need me to tell you whether or not you can consider yourself a web developer or not? Yes, go ahead. Call yourself a web developer. It doesn't really matter. What matters is, can you deliver for your clients? Can you give them the end result that they want? If you can do that, then the rest of it will take care of itself. Now, again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't focus on constantly expanding your skills. But what I'm saying is you should spend zero time, not one second, worrying about whether other developers will say you're a web developer or not. You should spend no time worrying about that. All your time focused on getting better at your craft, learning more skills, learning how to do build more end results, etc., and pleasing your clients, getting clients and pleasing your clients, the business side of things. Those are the things that you should should worry about or getting a job, getting good at filling out resumes, applying for jobs, doing interviews, when you get hired, getting onto projects, working with a team, again, the career side of things. All of that stuff is way more important than whether or not I can, can I would call you a web developer or not. All right, so hopefully I've killed that dead and I can point anybody who, who has that question to this episode uh, because it's just, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. There's, there's no point to it. At the end of the, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you the honest truth. I get a, with a, the YouTube channel like I have and the website and the podcast, as much exposure as I have every single day, I get some douchebag that'll come through and call me a name or say I'm, I don't know this or I don't know that. Every single day, YouTube comment, Twitter, and email, every single day, someone will tell me something about how I'm this big loser that's an idiot and doesn't know this, that, or the other. Every day. And I can tell you, it doesn't affect me one single bit. I don't care one iota about what they have to to say or what they think. You know, I, I care about trying to help people. I, I, I care about doing this for you guys. But I I could care less what... You know, it could be Mark Zuckerberg could come down and say, hey, you know, John's an idiot. Don't ever listen to him, et cetera, et cetera. That might suck for <laughs> my business and I, but me personally, I, could care le- I couldn't care less. It doesn't matter to me. That's the mindset you have to take. All that matters is the people that you're building things for. So don't worry about it. Yes, you're a web developer. I think. Personally, I think if you take on you take on the mindset, that's what really makes you a web developer. The the just being just saying, hey, I can figure this out, that mindset and the persistence and the attention to detail, all the mindset stuff that comes with it, if you're willing to look at what's required mentally of you and go, Okay, I'm gonna do that and really be committed to it. That's what makes you a web developer. I know plenty of web developers who know how to code who I don't really think of as web developers because of some of the stuff that they do on the the <laughs> integrity side of things. Like they don't have the honesty 
They don't have the work ethic for it. No, that's just me, but it doesn't, none of it really ultimately matters. All that matters is what you think, what your clients think, what your boss thinks, whatever. Those are the things that matter. And so, yes, call yourself a web developer. All right, I got to take a break. Coming up, I'm going to get into another question. We're going to be talking specifically about freelancing and freelance profiles. And going to be, I'm going to be verbally walking you through a profile and talking about some of the things um, that I see so often people doing wrong and really the strategy that you want to implement to have success as a web developer. And really the one thing that I, again, constantly harp on that nobody seems to do. Every single person that contacts me, they're just not doing this. And again, it's a something I want to hammer home to really try and drive the point across that this is the way that you have success as a freelancer. All right, so that's coming up in the next segment. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. It's not. Now, I've said this before, and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills that you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer, meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community. That there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn and that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients because that's ultimately what they want. But when you focus on these found foundational skills, and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable. When you can complete a, a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website, when you can execute on that, you can start. And you can start then building the life that you wanted that you got into this all for the, in the first place instead of continuing to slave away at some job making somebody else rich. Anyway, you can learn these skills in my free course the Beginner's Guide to PHP, which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. And it's going to teach you these foundational skills so you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life.
Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This segment, I, I got another question. This was actually via email. And it was referencing freelancing over on Upwork. And the, the question says, thanks, John. You are really helpful. I'm new to ODES. My profile is good enough, but can't find a job. Can you help me with this? Here's a link to my profile. So I'll link up this profile. Uh, I'll probably go just go to johnmorrisonline.com slash 134. That'll be the show notes page for this episode if you want to take a look at this profile and under kind of look at it as I walk through it. You'll be able to, to get that link there. But there's a couple things. So... <laughs> Whenever someone sends me a question like this, they say, hey, my profile is really good or my profile is good enough, but I'm not getting any work. Uh, I always kind of chuckle a little bit because I don't, if if your profile were good enough, you'd be getting work. That that That's really what it comes down to. And so inevitably, whenever I click through and look at the profile, there are always things that stand out to me that are huge red flags for a client. Okay. And so I want to try to really hone in on the, on the, the thinking behind this, because I could sit here and play whack-a-mole with a hundred different profiles and, and go through this and talk about all the different elements. But if you don't get the thinking behind it, the, the switch in thinking that you need to make, it really becomes irrelevant because, you know, on this freelancing profile, it'll, or freelancing site, then, you know, it, it, you'll make the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I really want to hone in on the thinking, but I'm going to try to use this as an example. So the thinking that matters is what I find a lot of developers, their mindset is, you know, they'll, they'll tend to focus on the one, on the, the one or two really good things about their profile. And they'll think that, well, 90% is good enough, right? That's exactly what's implied in this, my profile is good enough. Well, if you're not getting work, then it's not good enough. And you really have to be that hard-nosed with yourself. Oh, it's like, uh, it's, like, it's like coding, right? If you write a line of code and you get a PHP error, you wouldn't sit there and yell at your computer and say, my code's good enough, you should just process it. It's close enough. You would understand that something's wrong with your code. Well, it's the same here. If you're not getting work, there's something wrong with the profile. So, and again, looking at this profile, there are several things that stick out to me. But I want to, again, keep focused on the mindset. So if I look at this profile and I take the developer's mindset, I'll, I'll look at it and say, okay, this person actually has a fairly decent portfolio. The first few portfolio items on here do look really good. And you, you click through to these uh, and they look really nice. And so you can say, okay, you know, this is, this is a nice looking portfolio, which portfolio is really, really important. can do a lot of things for you. So that's important to have. Then you scroll down a little bit. You'll look at some of the certifications. Okay, these certifications seem legitimate. You know, a 
certified graphic designer from the Institute of Business and Technology. That seems like it's important. <laughs> uh, in-house fashion designing certification. So worked at this company uh, and, you know, had this, got this certification working there. Scroll down and look at some of the tests. Say, okay, Twitter bootstrap test. They got first place, so assume that means they're the one of the highest scores. Upwork readiness test, one of the highest scores. PC graphics test in the top 10%. CSS test in the top 10%. You know, so some of these look pretty good, right? And and so as a developer, you'd look at this and you would probably say, hey, it's good enough. You know, I've got a good portfolio. I've got good certifications. I've got good tests. But that's not how the client looks at it. You know, I want to I want to try to use an analogy to to help drive this point home. So I don't know if you have kids, but if you have kids, this will be easy for you. If you don't, and maybe you can think about a a little brother, or sister, or someone you really care about who is younger, a uh, cousin, whatever. And let's say you were going to hire a babysitter for them, and let's say you were looking at a profile for a bunch of different profiles for babysitters. Now, this is someone you really care about. I think about my boys when when we talk about this. There's someone I really care about. Like if anything happened to them, I would be just, I'd be beside myself. I wouldn't know what to do. And so you're looking at these profiles and you, you go through a particular profile and you look at it and you see seven good things, right? You see you know, maybe a good job history, maybe some good reviews, uh, maybe the picture of the person looks looks good or whatever. They look like they're a normal person. You look at and you see seven good things on this profile. But you see three things that are really big red flags for you. Right? Maybe it's something they said in their description. Maybe they said they're they they're into spanking and they spank. That would be weird for a babysitter to do, but let's just imagine. And you're really totally against that. You're totally against spanking and and so that's a big red flag for you. Right? Would you say in that instance, as the person giving about to give someone uh, the care of another person that you really care about, would you say, oh, well, yeah, there's that red flag, but it's good enough. There's seven good things. There may be three really scary things, but there's seven good things. And if I weigh them logically, seven is greater than three. So I'm going to hire this person. Of course you wouldn't. Those three red flags, it would only take one big red flag for you to probably move on, especially if you had hundreds of thousands of other babysitters to look through and choose from. And so I I bring this up and use this analogy to, to help you understand that when a client is looking at your profile, what they are thinking about is risk. That's the number one thing in their mind is risk. They are about to risk their money, their time, and what for a lot of these clients, the project you're going to build for them 
is like their baby. It's something that's really important to them. And so if there is a single red flag on your profile, they're going to move on because there are hundreds of thousands of other developers on these sites and available just in the world for them to choose from. So why would they hire someone that has a, a red flag when they can go find someone who has zero? And so that's what you have to understand when you're working with your profile. That it only takes one red flag. And so as I look at this profile, I see several red flags. For example, I, I don't want to be overly mean here, but I want to do my job. And when I look at the profile picture immediately, it's something that it's not because of it's not because of who the person is. It's the fact that the picture doesn't look like it's a professionally taken picture. Now, I I fully admit, if you've been with me for a while, I I did I made this mistake for a long time too. But the reality is, is people pay attention to it. Doesn't look like a prof professionally taken profile, and the person in the picture isn't smiling. So it. it immediately for most people is going to send up a red flag. So you, you want to get a picture that at least looks professionally done. And you want a picture that you're smiling in. Now I know that seems simple, but that's a red flag for people. We judge books by their covers. You know, we're always told all the time not to, but we do. So that's one. The second one is a lot of the clients, and again, people are going to hate on me for this, but I, <laughs> I'm going to say just don't shoot the messenger, okay? Uh, because this is just the reality of it. A lot of the clients you're going to be work, working with are English-speaking clients. And they want, if you look at what people, if you look at what people ask for, you'll see a lot of projects or, or the, the settings that they can set for the project where they ask for someone who's fluent in English. And it's not because they're xenophobes. It's because they want to be able to communicate with the person uh, and uh, about their project and not have a language barrier. That's a legitimate desire. Now, I understand that there's people out there who probably are xenophobes and use that as an excuse. But there, there's a legitimate point there about being able to communicate with someone and not having this massive language barrier. This profile says that they're fluent in English, but if you read the overview, there are some grammatical things that if you're a fluent English speaker, kind of stick out. So I would say that for example, the, the the second start of the second line, customer satisfaction is always a priority that proven the best marketing tool for me in past. Okay, as a native English speaker, that immediately stands out to me. That that's not that doesn't strike. That's not fluent. Please see my test scores for relevant tools for graphic designing. That's not necessarily wrong, but that's not how a fluent native English speaker would say that line. So just reading through this, again, 
I'm simply the messenger here. But just reading through this, if you're someone who wants someone who's fluent in English, it would take you two seconds reading this overview to go, uh, they're not fluent in English. Now, that doesn't mean you're not, by the way. Right? These could just be simple grammatical errors. You could be completely fluent in English, but you're giving off the impression that you're not. Now, you couple that with where the country that you list you, that you're from, which is not a native English speaking country, people put two and two together. Again, they could be totally wrong. You could be completely fluent, but the impression you're giving off is that you're not. So again, that's a second red flag. The final one is the one that's hardest to explain, but is probably the most important of all of this. And that is the fact that what you're charging per hour, what you list as you charge per hour is $3 per hour. Now, for I, I get that you know, I, I have friends of mine who are from the Philippines and I get that with the exchange rates and everything, in certain places, $3 an hour is a ton of money. So I, I understand that for you, from your perspective, you may look at that and go, that's a ton of money. Or you may look at it and go, the lower my price, the better, the more likely I am to get hired. I can tell you that's almost never true. It's almost never true. You, we think that way because of when we go to you know, say Walmart or some store and we look at different products and we oftentimes look at the price and buy the cheaper one. But how many times have you gone to Walmart and bought Coke instead of Cola or Pepsi instead of Cola or the Shasta, <laughs> right? Why are, the, the Coke costs more. Why are you getting the Coke and not the Cola? Why are you going to the medicine aisle and getting the brand name instead of the generic? I know that there are people that buy generic and buy this, that, and the other, and they're really staunch about it. But those people are pretty rare. And often you'll find even them, there will be something where they, they choose brand name over generic and they really have no good reason why. They just, they just do it, even though the brand name costs more. Why do people do that? Because people associate value with cost, right? Think about if you were to go and you were to buy a computer and you were to have two computers side by side and you had a general idea of the specs, but you didn't necessarily know everything or at least what they, maybe you didn't know what all the specs meant or whatever. And you had one that was $500 and one that was $400. Most people would assume that the $500 computer is a better computer than the $400 one. Or because you know a lot about technology, you probably say, well, no, I know better. I can look at all the specs. Okay, let's take something that you, you don't know maybe as much about. Let's take jewelry. Let's say you have two rings side by side. And you don't know, I assume, don't know much about jewelry. I know I don't. One's a $500 ring and one's a $100 ring. Which one do you think is going to be more valuable? Probably the $500 ring. Most people are going to assume that the $500 ring is a more valuable, better ring. There may not be a single difference 
between the two. But they're going to uh, assume that. Another one that uh, you'll hear a lot, and it's kind of an urban legend, but there, you know, there's always lots and lots of stories that people actually have to back this up. Is uh, this this guy who uh, went and bought a new fridge, and he buys the new fridge. He has his old one. He has nowhere to put it. He just wants to get rid of it, and so he takes it and he puts it out on his curb, and puts up a sign that says "free." And it sits there for like a week and nobody comes and gets it. So then he goes out there and he puts a sign that says $100 on the fridge. And within a couple hours, someone comes and steals the fridge. Why does that happen? And again, you can, you can look there. Anytime you bring this up, people, I I know I've had it. We've, (laughs) we put stuff on Craigslist for free and nobody will come and get it. And then we'll put, okay, we'll put it on there and say 10 bucks and somebody will show up within an hour. Why do people do that? Because they look at the free fridge and say, well, something must be wrong. It's too good to be true. They, they look at the free thing and they say, you know, something must not be right. That's why they're just giving it away. But as soon as you put a price on it, then they automatically assume that because you're willing to charge for it, that everything must be okay. Not 100%, but they're at least willing to look at it. It's the same with your clients. If you put $3 an hour on your profile, I don't care where you're from. If you're trying to market to English-speaking Clients, clients from, you know, uh, English speaking countries and you're putting $3 an hour or three pounds or whatever. Those people are going to look at your profile and automatically think something must be wrong. Just like when they see the free fridge, they say, well, something must be wrong. They're going to look at your $3 an hour and they're going to say, something must not be right. Why would... I mean, I, they, they know the market a little bit. They're looking at other developers and seeing, okay, there's developers charging $25, $50, $100, $200 an hour. This guy's charging three? What's wrong? Now, you can talk all you want about exchange rates and where you live. and It, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You've already lost because the initial impression is there that something is wrong. Now... The nice side of that is you could probably raise your hourly rate and have better success getting clients, have a better chance of getting clients. Oh, and by the way, you're going to make more money. How about that? So probably the biggest red flag on this entire profile is the fact that you're only charging $3 an hour. I get that that makes it so hard to get your head around, but it's a red flag to people. They associate value with cost. So if you only cost $3 an hour, they assume you must only be worth $3 an hour. And I can tell you, I'm not going to give my baby to someone who's only worth $3 an hour. That's the reality of the way that most people are going to look at this and see this. You couple that with the profile picture. You couple that with some of the little grammatical issues with your overview. And, And the fact that, by the way, 
your overview. You, know, you, talk, you say, I'm a graduate job experience of more than five years. Nobody cares. Graphics designing is my passion. Nobody cares. And there is nothing more enjoyable to make money from your passion. Nobody cares. I've served over 50 clients locally with good recurrence rate. Maybe care. Customer satisfaction is always a top priority. Everybody says that. That's proven to best be the best marketing tool for me in the past. Nobody cares. Please see my test scores for relevant tools for graphic designing. I've already made my decision. You've, you've already told me several things I don't care about. I love to play with colors. Don't care. To create something unique that can create a solid impact for viewers. Great. Nobody cares, nobody cares about that stuff. That's not going to sell somebody. Right? You have to talk about the benefit to them. What are they going to get? And you have to speak in end results. Okay. So when you couple the, the low hourly rate, couple the grammatical errors, you cu- couple the fact that the overview doesn't really tell me anything compelling, and then you have the profile picture that doesn't look professional, not smiling. I'm that's enough for me. For a first impression, I'm I'm gone. I I'm not going to hire you. I'm going to f- go I'm it's enough to give me a bad feeling. And why am I going to why am I going to take that risk when there's literally hundreds of thousands of other developers out there that I could choose from? So all that to say that going back Say your profile is good enough. I can objectively tell you that there are things with your profile that are turning clients away. Now, that doesn't mean changing these things. You're going to change these things and suddenly clients are going to start flooding in the front door. But I can tell you until you change those things, you're going to continue to have the problem of people not hiring you. So start there, change those things, and then... Maybe you can start getting somewhere with bidding on jobs and so forth because you actually do have a pretty decent portfolio. I think you're probably a good person and probably do do a good job, (laughs) by the way. But the impression that you're giving off doesn't lead me to believe that. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up there. Hopefully, you got a ton of value from that. And uh, for you, you can go ahead and make the changes to your profile and anybody else listening can can kind of take those lessons and and use them whether it's for your your freelance profile it's for your website and marketing your services it's for jobs uh, resumes and and interviews and and so forth so all of this can apply all the way across the board all right so if you like this episode please be sure to like the episode I'd appreciate that it lets me know that you like this kind of content if you know somebody, you know, if you guys, I would really appreciate if you guys would help me share the show, help me be able to reach more and more developers. There's lots and lots of people out there who really need this kind of information. Um, I see tons and tons of profiles like this. Uh, almost every single one I have, I get sent has some sort of similar issues like this. And it's a really kind of an epidemic. So if you could really help me uh, to find those people. If you know another web developer or community out there who could benefit from what I've gone through today, I'd really appreciate if you'd share the show with them. And of course, if you're not subscribed yet, if you're new to the show, then I would appreciate you subscribing. You'll get, 
immediate access to all of the new episodes once they're released. You can subscribe on whatever device you happen to have. If you're on Apple, uh, an Apple device, you can do your brand new iPhone 7 at johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes. Android, if you're a smart uh, a smart developer and you got an Android, then you can go to johnmorrisonline.com slash Android. Or on your desktop, your laptop, your tablet, your uh, iPhone, your Android device, you can get the SoundCloud app on really anywhere. And you can do that. Subscribe to the show at johnmorrisonline.com slash SoundCloud. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.